Well, they've been doing wonderful so far, and they're going to be joining us again here in a few minutes to sing again. But as they're exiting, let me just let me add my words of welcome to you, whether you're here in the building or joining us online. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at Udakin. And I also want to invite you back uh, for Christmas Eve. We have something sort of special this year. It's a come-and-go event called Simply Christmas, something for everyone. Three different times between two and five, we'll be having a service on an ongoing basis here in the sanctuary, and there's going to be a a marketplace out there. There's going to be a live nativity stuff for the youth, for the children, food. There's going to be play rides for people. We encourage you to come next week to that come-and-go event from two to five. And as we just take a few minutes to look into God's word, I'd like to just pray with you. So, Father, we pause for a few moments to look into your word. We thank you so much for the gift of Jesus that we've been hearing about, that we look to at this time of year in particular. We pray that as we look at your word now, that you'd speak to us in very personal terms. Invite this and ask this in Jesus' So I was reading on the internet, which is, of course, an absolutely trustworthy source, and uh, they said scientists suggested there's some incredible news that between, they've been studying, and between December 15th and January 2nd, there's absolutely no calories in food. So please go for it, and that's good news for people. We all react differently to Christmas, don't we? My wife, uh, Debbie, if you know her at all, she's very much into expending considerable effort to make sure the decorations and the lighting is just so at Christmas time that people are pointed to Jesus at Christmas time. And so everything gets put up in our house in late November, and I'll still be seeing the uh, residual elements of it in the first week or two of January. Me, on the other hand, I'm a bit of a Scrooge when it comes to Christmas. Around December 20th or so, I start thinking about the fact that, you know, I really should put up that artificial Christmas tree of ours. Frankly, the thought of putting up lights and stuff like that doesn't occur to me until I see Debbie up on the ladder putting them up. And, you know, I just thought about the fact that we all respond differently at Christmas time. And the choir, in their presentation, the, the main idea of it is the invitation to make room. And you'll hear that coming out in each one of the songs that they will perform for us today. And what I want to do is just take a very few minutes to look at several characters that are engaged in the story of Jesus as he entered earth and their reactions to that coming of Christ. And did these characters make room for Jesus? And to bring it home to us here in 2022, I'm going to just invite you to see, can you see yourself in any one of these characters? Can you relate to their reaction to this historical event of the coming of Jesus. And so the first one, if I had to categorize 
um, the reaction of this individual. I would use the word neglecting. I would use the word neglecting. And we heard Stephen Kesh read us that story from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, uh, a few moments ago. So I'm not going to reread it. But the reference that's being spoken about here that I want to bring out is that of the innkeeper. Now, technically, in verse 7, there's no specific mention that there actually is an innkeeper. It just simply says there's no room for them at the inn. And so maybe the possibility exists that their equivalent 2,000 years ago of a neon sign with one of the letters burnt out, flashing, no vacancy, is what they saw and what they knew. But probably a safe guess would be that Joseph approached the inn and found the innkeeper because of what was going on with Mary. And he probably said to the guy, is there any way even though I know you've got no rooms available, is there anything you can do? Is there any way you can bend the rules? Is there any way that you can accommodate us? Because my wife is literally on the precipice of having a child. And how, how did the innkeeper respond to this? And again, I'm just guessing at this point, but the reality is I'm guessing he wasn't hostile. He didn't hate these people. He didn't know these people at all. And most people in the world have a bit of a soft spot in their heart for a woman that's really on the precipice of giving birth to a child. Most people will do what they can to help out. But the fact of the matter is, obviously, the room was all taken up and there was no place not even a closet for them to go to. And the guy probably said, listen, my hands are tied. This directive has come down from Revenue Canada. I I wish I could help you, but there's just no place for you to go. Nothing I can do. And I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, you know, this um, this is often the way many of us will respond to Jesus. Just sort of benign neglect. Because in my experience, and I don't know about yours, but in my experience, most people are not openly hostile to the person of Jesus. They may not like the church. They may not like some of the people in the church. But when it comes to the idea of Jesus himself, most people are not angry with him. Most people don't hate him. They're just busy doing all kinds of other things in their lives things that are important to them. They're too busy to be bothered really engaging with the idea or the significance of Jesus and why he came and what, he was, what his purpose in being here was. And so they're just sort of preoccupied. And I'm certainly not suggesting in any way that we would forget about our business and certainly not forget about our family or friends. But I think what you're going to hear the choir inviting you to do if you've been listening and continuing. And what I would invite you to do is ask yourself this question. Is there room in your heart for God to write his story? One of the lines they'll be singing to us in just a couple of minutes. Is there room in your heart for God to write his story? For whatever reason, the innkeeper wasn't on the same page. 
Second, the second character, uh, Stefan Kesh read to us about actually characters from Luke chapter 2, was the shepherds. And I would, if I was going to categorize them, the first guy was neglecting. If I was going to categorize the second, it would be accepting for the shepherds. They were an accepting bunch. And so there's all these shepherds, and they're out in the fields of Bethlehem, and I've had the privilege to be to Bethlehem and look at the rolling hills, the gentle hills, and it's, it's cold there at night. And so they're out there, they're shivering a little bit, and they're looking after their animals, and they're not looking for Jesus. They've never heard of Jesus, never heard of the idea of the, this person named Jesus, but they have been taught since they were little toddlers about the concept of Messiah. And they've been taught that there's a deliverer coming for them as a people group. Now, the emphasis would have been a a political deliverer, one who would come and remove the oppressive regime of the Romans, and that would come and rescue them and bring their nation to a place of prominence. So they were expecting that kind of deliverer to come. And so when the angels, as Stephen Kesh read to us from the passage, appeared to them for the very first time in their life, they were confronted with the fact of a very personal, individual need that they had for a savior. See, they thought they had it made because they were part of the nation and the people group from which they came. They've been told, you've got it made in the shade. You don't need to worry. You've got a, your, your ticket's been punched. But when the angels appeared to them, they were confronted with this truth. Something personal and individual that I need to make a choice about. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think, well, you know, somehow it'll just all come out in the wash for me. But they had to make this very personal choice. And the reason for this is that the Bible says that every one of us, every single one of us, what does that mean? It means that we are all at odds with God. And this was new shepherds. They just thought they were okay. But they as long as well, as well as us, are at odds with God. And this is because of the choices that every individual makes. And the Bible calls those choices. Don't do the things we know we should. And we deliberately choose not to do the things we know we should. I might have mixed that up. We do wrong things, and then we choose not to do the things we know we should. Role of the Savior they discovered that night is that Jesus that mission was to deal with this sin problem came to cure for us and offer to us forgiveness for these actions he said listen if you'll, if you'll acknowledge this need that you have have to personally choose. Nobody else can do it for you. You'll ask for this forgiveness if you'll surrender your life to me in that sense and trust me exclusively. 
Well, how did they react the first time they heard this news about Christ? Did they just say, well, that's interesting stuff, and then let's have another cup of coffee because it's cold here and we've got to look after these animals? No, it says in the story in verses 15 to 17 and in verse 20, they dropped everything and they hurried to go and engage with this group. They went, they worshipped him, which is to acknowledge him for who he is, to revere him, to honor him, to glorify him. And this is really important. It's a little hard for us to understand, but they've been taught since... They were this little. You don't do something like that. You don't acknowledge someone as God unless he really is. They would never have done this in their wildest dreams unless they were convinced to the core of their being. And then after this took place, we're told that they go out and they tell everyone the good news about Jesus. So they had accepted, accepted him, their lives had been utterly changed and would never be the same. Life-changing commitment. Trust him. But he doesn't just give to the shepherds. Unlike the innkeeper, the shepherds, oh, they, they just made a, a radical step. See, they did something. Again, it's a little hard for us to grasp, but they just left their animals. They would never do that. There was no social safety net back then. If your animals got carried off by wild animals or by thieves or they wandered off and fell and broke their, their, their leg and had to be put down, die. You could you just did not do this. So this was something that gripped them to the sense that everything else became secondary, at least momentarily in life. And were neglected. The shepherds accepted. And then the third one is found in that Matthew passage that Stephen Kesh read for us. And that's the one called expecting. And so let me just reread the first two verses that they read to us of those 10 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these are men of science. These are astronomers. They go on a long, long journey, an arduous jury, journey, journey, a very expensive journey, a dangerous journey. You didn't do stuff like that back then unless you had a very, very compelling reason to do it. And they did this, if you read the text, based on the reality that they thought we are going to find a new reality that will change our life. They went looking for a king, for a savior, again, Jesus. Not something they did. They came ready to make a commitment when they found the answer. They came ready to invest when they found this king. They're on this journey. Some time ago, I was at a community event. And it wasn't put on by the church or anything like that. Um, it was just a community event. 
And for some reason, and I don't even remember how it happened, the issue came up of searching for God. And I was at a table with a bunch of people I had never met before, and this issue came up, and this particular woman was a Christian at the table. She was a follower of Jesus, and she very boldly stated that everybody has this need for a personal relationship with God. And another lady, I didn't know this woman on my right, and this other woman on my left, again, I didn't know her before that night, uh, pushed back very strongly and said, I'm not in that place in my life. I'm just checking out all kinds of different kinds of spirituality. I'm not really committed to anything in life. And... uh, The two of them, they didn't have an argument, but it was a strong discussion, and they went head-to-head for a period of time. And as they were doing this, I hadn't said a word. Hard to believe, right? Hadn't said a word. But I was kind of praying, and I was saying, you know, God, I'm not really sure what to say here. Um, What should I say? Should I say something? And if so, what? So... um, after things started, the temperature started to turn down and it started to calm down a little bit. I said something like this. I said, you know, there's this story in the Bible where there's these two guys that were walking from one community in Israel. And as they were walking, they were talking about life and they started to ask all kinds of questions about Jesus. They had all these questions that they couldn't figure out the answer to about him. And as they were walking, Jesus joined them on the walk. And for one reason or another, they didn't realize, didn't recognize him for who he was. And Jesus actually proceeded, because it was a long walk, to walk them through all 39 books of the Old Testament. And he referenced in every one of those books where he appeared and where you could see him. And he was talking about himself. And I said to her, you know, maybe, maybe you're on a journey like that. No, I think I am. And I said to her, you know, the journey took quite a while, but at the end of the journey, here's the journey, here's the, here's the, here's the interesting thing. Jesus said, this is who I really am. And And I said to her, you know, I think it's really outstanding we're on this journey. But at some point, if I could just gently challenge you, at some point, a decision would have to be made. I said to her, go on your journey, awesome stuff. Never forget that at some point, I don't know why you're here this morning. You're in search mode. Maybe you're on a bit of a journey. Maybe you're expecting. Maybe you're hoping to find a reality like the wise men, the magi, were looking for. That You know, it just seems like, and it's hard to even put into words, like something's missing from your life. I just encourage you to keep going on the journey, but understand that at one point, and maybe today would be a great day. 
Can I remind you of the lyric that the choir is going to sing here in a minute? Hard for God to write his story. And I suggest, and this has been again my experience, that if you out of the Bible with legit questions, actually says in the Bible that the Spirit of God draws us. us. He never bangs you over the head, but he'll be gently drawing you to Jesus, drawing you to truth. You know, some people in my church told me this story that happened to them, their grandparents. And uh, I'll just call them George and Susan. How does that sound? And so George and Susan uh, had uh, all the family and the grandkids coming to visit at Christmas time. And uh, Susan was really good at decorating. And one of the things she liked to do, because she wanted to decorate the place nice, but she also wanted to point to Jesus, was she would uh, put out this very beautiful nativity scene, quite elaborate. And she wanted to make sure that the atmosphere was as Christmassy and Jesus-centered as possible. And so she set the nativity scene up like many people do, kind of in a semi-circle in a sense, so that all the figures in that were facing outwards, so you could see the faces of the people and the animals, and you could kind of appreciate the workmanship and the craftsmanship of the different figures in the nativity. After a little while, all of the adults went out for a few minutes, and when they came back, someone noticed right away that every one of the figures in the nativity scene had been moved by the grandkids. What they had done is they had taken all the animals and the characters and they put them in a tight circle, all facing inward towards Jesus. And when the adults came back, they said to the kids, why did you move all the figures? Why did you move grandma's figures? Listen to this very matter-of-fact response from the kids. said, well, where else would they be? Where else would they be looking? Room in your heart for God to write 